Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Great song. Our prayer time on Thursday. Thursday's the day of prayer for us at Luke 418. We pray in the choir room at 6 o'clock on Thursday morning. We have about 5 to 7. It's wonderful. Anytime you can come or go, just come. Not about how many come. We're just praying. Then on Thursday night, we meet at uh, 7 o'clock in the choir room on Schillinger's Road. We have anywhere from 10 to 15. And it's just a wonderful time. And I know you're praying with us and your spirit of prayer is with us. Don't you feel any pressure from me to come? I'm just telling you we're praying and you join with us as we pray. And we're asking God for revival. And we're praying for our nation. We're praying for our church and for our city. We're trusting God to move. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. In 1983, well, that's a long time ago, Ooh. Uh, the book, first book that I wrote, and I'm not an author, it, just a bunch of sermons I'd preached, and somebody put them in, in a book called The Divine Pattern. That book was published in 1983. I got that title from, from three words. The words humility, submission, and resistance. And the reason I got that uh, title was that in 1 Peter chapter 1, or 1 Peter chapter 5, I believe it is, uh, it, it talks, it gives that pattern. And in the book of James, it gives that pattern as well. So let's, let's read first of all, uh, let's go to the book of James. Let's look at it first. And I want you to look for the pattern, humility, submission, and resistance. James chapter 4, verse 6. Notice that, that there's a pattern here and that it involves also just uh, resistance. All right. In James 4, it says in verse 6, James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. God gives more grace, thank God. Therefore, he says, since God is the God of grace, he says, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's that word, humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, since God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, therefore, submit to God. There's that word, submission. Humility, submission, resistance. Therefore, submit to God. Look at the next word. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Look down in verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So there's a pattern. Humility that results in submission to the Lordship of Christ and the fullness of Christ, and then the spiritual warfare, the resisting of the devil. Then go over to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. I may have said chapter 1, but that's not the first time I made a mistake. Chapter 5, 5 verse 5. Again, Peter, t- different writer, Peter, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says the same thing. He got the same pattern. Humility, submission, resistance. Verse 5. Likewise, you younger people... Submit yourselves to your elders. Now look at this. Yes, all of you, be submissive one to another 
and be clothed with humility. Be clothed with humility. And then he gives that same verse that James gave. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. What a word. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humility, submission. But then he says, resist it. You've got to resist the devil. Look at verse 8 in 1 Peter 5. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. There's no question that it's kind of like this, humility. Then there's submission to the lordship of Christ and the fullness of, of the Spirit. And then there's absolute warfare, where we resist the devil and his demons and do not allow them to destroy us or our families or the ministry or the body of Christ. Humility, submission, and resistance. Well, I've just been thinking about that. Went back and just thumbed through, through the book and realized that there are certain foundational truths that if you don't get the foundation right, then the structure's not going to be right. And so many people start building a structure without a solid, secure foundation. Now, I want to share with you, there is a biblical foundation for the Christian life. A biblical foundation for living a righteous life, a godly life, a holy life, and a victorious life. There is a biblical foundation upon which we must build if we're going to live a victorious and abundant Christian life. So what I'm going to do in the next few weeks, first of all, I'm going to preach two messages on humility, one this morning and one next Sunday. Then I'm going to preach two messages on submission, what it means to let Jesus be Lord and to have the fullness of Christ in your life. Then I'm going to preach two messages on fullness, what it means to be spiritually full are the fullness of the, fullness of the Spirit. Two messages on spiritual warfare and two messages on prayer. So that's ten messages over the next ten weeks. Now, I am going to interrupt it. Now, you need to listen to me. On July the 1st, I'm going to preach a message entitled, Will God Spare America? I hope you'll be here. You need to know what God is saying to this nation and will He spare this nation. Two messages on humility Two on submission, two on spiritual warfare, two on the fullness of Christ and the Spirit, and two on prayer. And I'm trusting God to lay again a solid foundation upon which we as a church and individuals can live abundant, victorious lives in Christ. Today I want to talk to you, my first message on humility. Number one, the peril of pride and the power of humility. Man, I'd, I've never seen it this way. But it's almost like God just said, I want you to see what's going on in the world. The first picture, clear picture, of the battle between pride and humility is seen in the confession of Lucifer, of Satan, and the confession 
of Jesus. And in Isaiah, I want you to turn and see this. In Isaiah chapter 14, here you see the absolute when Satan was cast out of heaven. And why was he cast out? Let me tell you why. P-R-I-D-E, pride. And then you go over to Philippians 2, and you see the humility of Jesus. And it's such a stark contrast that it's like God saying, let me me show you the peril of pride. But let me show you the power of humility. In Isaiah chapter 14, listen to verse 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? Why did God cast Lucifer? Why did he cast him out of heaven? Why did a third of the angels, which are now demonic, why did they follow him? I want to show you. It's called pride. Listen to it. For Verse 13 of Isaiah 14. You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. Man, listen to him talk. Man, I'm going to ascend into heaven. Man, I'm going to be higher than God. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He said, man, I'm telling you, I'm going to be exalted even beyond God. Now, I won't tell you about Lucifer. He was a powerful, powerful, powerful angel. And here he is in rebellion, and pride is in his heart. And I, I, he said, I will, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne upon the star, above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I, 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 I. And here pride drove Lucifer to rebel against a holy God, the only God, And God cast him out of heaven. And it was all because of pride. I will exalt myself above the throne of God. But you know, as wicked as that is, and as rebellious as that is, pride, man, you turn over to the book of Philippians, and you find the second chapter. And I want to show you the humility of Jesus. And by the way, there's a war going on today. It is a war going on between the victorious Christ and Satan and the demons of hell that are defeated. It is an awesome spiritual war going on right now. A war going on for the souls of men and women. A war going on in the body of Christ. A war going on in the nations. And it's a battle between Christ, who is the exalted and risen Lord, and Satan, who is a defeated and doomed foe. But it's a battle. And the battle will not be over until Jesus comes and the devil is cast forever into the lake of fire. But I want to show you the humility of Jesus. How the Son of God who won the victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil did it through a heart of submission to his heavenly Father and a heart of humility. I'm reading in Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, deity, God himself, who being in the form of God, did not consider it something to be held on to, 
are to be grasped to be equal with God. <laughs> Here he is. He is God. But he, he didn't say, I've got to hold on to that. I mean, he was the, the devil just trying to exalt himself above the throne of God in rebellious pride. And here Jesus said, I'm God, but I don't have to hold on to that. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself. I don't hear any I in this, big I. But made himself of no reputation. Wow. He took upon him the form of a servant. And came in the likeness of men. And he being found in appearance of him as a man, listen, humbled himself. Now this is Jesus. <laughs> this is the son of David, perfect humanity. Jesus, the son of God, perfect deity. And here Jesus is laying aside his deity and taking upon himself humanity. And it says he humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Here's the devil, Lucifer. I will exalt myself above the heavens. I will exalt myself above the throne. I will sit on the mountain. Rebellious pride. And here's the Son of God. I will humble myself. And I will become obedient. Even to dying on the cross for the sins of wicked men and women. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Then, therefore, God highly exalted him. He highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The devil rebelled and said, I'm going to be on the throne, and God cast him down. Hallelujah. Jesus obeyed, and God sits him on the throne. And he's seated on the throne today in power and authority. And I want to tell you today that the devil and all the demons of hell are under the feet of the Son of the living God. Jesus won the victory out of humility. It was in humility that the enemy was defeated. Now, every one of us have to deal with pride. Oh, yeah. And every one of us need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt us in due time. I want to talk to you about the peril of pride. It's a peril. Did you know the first sin that was ever committed, that the root of it was pride? In Genesis chapter 3, Satan as a serpent went to Eve. And said to Eve, can you eat of all the trees of the garden? She said, yes, we can, but we can't eat of one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, if we ate of it, we'd die. The devil, being the liar he is, and all he does is lie to you, by the way. He said, you won't die. In fact, Eve, God knows if you eat of that tree, you'll be just like God, knowing good and evil. He appealed to Eve, you know. Appeal to her pride. If, if you'll eat of that, you, you, you'll be as, uh, uh, just like God. You, you, you'll be a God yourself. And listening to that, pride rose up in Eve and said, Well, man, 
I want to be just like God. And it was a root of pride that caused Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the moment she did, she began to die spiritually. So you go back and you realize that pride, you will be like God. You, you, you know one of the problems with pride is you want to be your own God. That's your problem. Nobody's going to run my life but me. Nobody's going to determine what I do but me. Oh, no, you don't understand, Brother Fred. This thing of Jesus being in control of my life, this thing of me following Jesus, this thing of me wanting God's will instead of my will, you can forget that. There's going to be one God in my life, and it's going to be me. Eve, you'll be just like God. The peril of pride. Wanting to be the God of your own life. That is exactly. Hey, there are many people that turn away from Jesus because they don't want to follow him. They want to call the shots in their life and do their own thing. But you know, the peril of pride is not only was it the first, the root of the first sin that um, Eve committed. I want you to listen to some verses. And I, I jotted them down here, and I'm going to tell you where they are, and you can look them up later. Now, this is the peril of pride. The Lord, though the Lord is high, yet he regards the humble. But the proud, he knows at a distance. He said, though the God is exalted, man, he knows the humble. But he knows the proud afar off. Then Proverbs 8, 13, listen to what it says. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, and the evil way, and the froward mouth, the perverse mouth I hate. God says, I hate pride. I hate arrogance. I hate a perverse mouth. But you, you're talking about the peril of pride? Proverbs eleven twelve. When pride, with pride, when pride comes, then comes shame. Listen to it. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble, there's wisdom. Then another verse. Boy, this is a, this is a strong verse. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 16, 18. How many times have I seen this? Oh, I'm telling you, it's not if it'll happen, it will. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proud person's just headed to destruction and with a haughty spirit, they're going to fall. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 3, a man's pride will bring him low. Wow. But the humble in spirit will restrain him. Folks, listen. The message I'm going to preach next week goes into great detail out of the parable of the, when the Pharisee was in church and the publican was in church in the prayer it, it gives a great detailed description of pride and um and a humility 
And you say, well, I'm not going to be here. Then you can get it on the iPad or the iPod or whatever you go, the Oak Repod. I don't care what it is. You can get it. And we got CDs. But today, I, I just want to tell you, that uh, just give you a brief idea of what pride is. Then I want to talk to you about the power of humility. Pride is independence. A proud person is an independent person. They're independent. It's like this. Be honest with you, Brother Fred. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. I don't need his mercy. I don't need his grace. I I can just tell you, I can handle my life, Pastor. See, a, a proud person is an independent person. In other words, hey, it's my life. It's I will exalt myself. I, 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 I. They got eye trouble. A proud person's an independent person. Secondly, they're a self-sufficient person. Total self-sufficiency. They're just self-sufficient. I mean, hey, I can handle anything that comes in my life. I can handle it. Don't you worry about me. I can handle it. They're just self-sufficient. Hey, I've made it this long. I mean, you, you know, some people just, you know, Brother Fitz, some people are weak, and religion is a crutch, and so they need religion. Man, I, I, I'm not weak. I don't need religion. By the way, really, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need religion either, praise God. I don't want religion. I just want Jesus. Amen? But see, you know, pride is independent, and it is self-sufficient. I can take care of it. I can handle it. I'm, I'm not in any way enamoring this story. When there was a man that whose wife didn't miss church at all, but he, 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 he wouldn't come, and every now and then he'd uh, bless us with his presence, you know, and he was just lost as a goose in a hailstorm. I don't know even know how lost that is, but that's lost. <laughs> he sat across from me in my study, and he looked at me, and he was fairly successful. I mean, you know, he, he, he'd been fairly successful. But he, he looked at me and said, Brother Fred, you don't understand. I don't need God. Man, I got, that scared me. He said, I don't need God. He said, I, I'm telling you, look, I mean, everything's fine. Everything's good. I'm handling everything well. He said, I want to tell you one thing about it. The best thing about needing God, he said, look at me. He said, I'm a self-made man. You know what I wanted to say to him? You're exactly right. God wouldn't make a mess like you are, big boy. I'm telling you that right now. But when he left my office, I said, my God, if I've ever seen pride, that's a dangerous place to be. Dangerous. Self-sufficient. Independent. Going to run your own life. Going to do your own thing. You have an exalted opinion of yourself. That's the problem with people that are proud. They got an exalted opinion of themselves. If you could buy them for what they think they're worth, no. If you could buy them for what they're worth and sell them for what they think you're worth, you'd never have to work another day in your life. Think about that. They have an exalted opinion of themselves. Man, they think they're the most valuable. God's gift to the human race. Boy, you buy them for what they think they're worth. And, no, I, I got it confused. I'm not even going there. But you got the point. You got the point. They have an exalted opinion of themselves. I'll tell you nothing. They esteem themselves better than others. They kind of look down on people. They're arrogant. You know, well, how do you know, Brother Fred? You just get around them. You'll know. You understand what I mean? You ain't got to be a rocket scientist to know when somebody's proud. 
Listen to me. That's a dangerous place to be. God resists the proud. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that God's against anybody. He wants everybody to be saved. What that means is this. They've put a wall up between them and God. They've put a wall up between them and God. It's not like God says, I'm going to resist you. No, they've put a wall up between them and God. They've constructed that wall. They can't get over it. And God won't jump over it and force it. And, and I'm just telling you that they, they've just built that wall. And, and so they resisted. They, they can't get to God. And it's their pride. Pride is a peril. And I, I just warn you that you're not independent. You're not self-sufficient. You have no right to think that you can run your own life. God created you, has a purpose and a plan for your life. And you are in great peril if you esteem yourself better than others and have an exalted opinion of yourself. But then let me just say uh, a few words about the power of humility. Man, the peril of pride. But the power of humility. You you know what it says over there in James? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. Jesus humbled himself and God highly exalted him and gave him the name of every name. You know the, the, the truth of the Christian life? The way up is down. Oh, yeah, the way up is down. You've got to die before. The way to live is to die to yourself. And there's a tremendous power in, in humility. In fact, let me give you just two stories here. That, I mean, right, right from the lips of Jesus, the disciples were arguing among themselves. Now, no, they were debating among themselves who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You say, why were they doing that? Because they were Baptists. That's why they were doing it. They were arguing about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And one of the sons of Zebedee's, their mama said, Jesus, when you come in your kingdom, I want my son to be at one hand and one at the left. Uh, I mean, it was, it was all messed up. When they asked him who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 18, Jesus called a little child. And set him down in the middle of them. And said, now let let me tell you about this thing about greatness. Whoever humbles himself like this little child doesn't have an exaggerated opinion of himself. It's not pushing and fighting for position and recognition. Just has a simple child life. Whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Woo, Jesus. It's not by pushing and striving and trying to get ahead and get above everybody else. No, it's just like a child. That spirit, that's the greatest. It's called humility. It's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But then let me give you another great verse. Boy, You say, Brother Fred, this blessing, this power of humility, when you have the spirit of a a child, he said, but you know, uh, God says he is going to visit and bless the person who walks in humility. Did you know there's a promise? 
that he will visit and bless you if you walk in humility? I want you to listen to it. Man, and man, it's a great, great verse. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Boy, you need to underline this one and you need to study it. I'm claiming this for myself and for you, every one of you. I'm claiming this for our church. Isaiah 57, 15. Listen to this uh, exalt, exalted uh, uh, picture of God. For thus, say the, thus saith the high and lofty one. Talking about God. For thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high, in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. Wait a minute. God said, thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart. Revive means life. I dwell with him who is of a humble and uh, contrite spirit to give life, to give life to the spirit of the humble and to, to give life to the heart of the contrite ones. Woo. God says, I'm going to bless that man or woman who walks before me in humility and brokenness. I'm going to bless them. And they're going to be great in the kingdom of God. But, but let, let me mention this to you, which is awesome. Did you notice it says in uh, 1 Peter 5 and in James 4 that God gives grace to the humble? Now, I, I want you to just think about this now. God resists the proud, but he gives grace, grace, grace. He gives grace to the humble. Is there anybody in this room that needs the grace of God? <laughs> Woo, do we need the grace of God. Hallelujah. All right, let me just tell you, there's the saving grace of God. Stay with me now, I'm going to give it to you pretty quick. There's the saving grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. Not of works, lest any man should... It is by the grace of God, by the grace of God, God giving us what we don't deserve and could never do for ourselves. It was, it was the grace of God that brought Jesus to this earth. See, they're saving grace. It is by the grace of God that we know Jesus and our sins are forgiven. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's the grace. Hey, they're saving. God gives grace to the humble. They're saving grace. They're sanctifying grace. In other words, the grace to live a holy life. I love this. Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There's a song, grace that is greater than all our sin. God gives grace. You talk about a blessed life. Greatness in the eyes of God is the humility of a child. God says he revives the spirit of the humble and the contrite one. And then, then the, the Bible says that God just gives grace to the humble, saving grace. 
and sanctifying grace. Where sin abounded, God's grace is much greater. And by His grace, we overcome sin. But also, you know, the, the, the great gift of the grace of God is serving grace. Nobody ser- no, there was no greater servant of Jesus than the Apostle Paul. You know what he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10? Listen to what he said. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And said, God's grace that was given to me was not in vain. And if I labored more abundantly than all these people, it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that was with me. Can I say one thing? Here's a man or a woman blessed by God, greatly used by God, whether as a layperson in the streets just loving and following Jesus, whether a pastor or a singer, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, just being who God called you to be where you are. And you know, the testimony of every person that has ever amounted to anything in the kingdom of God is this. It's all the grace of God. It's, all the, it's called serving grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And God's grace that he gave me was not in vain. And if I did more than anybody else, he said, you've got to understand one thing. It wasn't me. It was the grace of God that was with me. Man, the saving grace of God, he gives grace to the humble. I mean, the sanctifying grace of God where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And the serving grace of God, if I labored more abundant than they all, it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that was within me. And then there's the sustaining grace of God, how he sustains us through the storms and trials of life. And then, of course, there's the sufficient grace of God. He gives grace to the humble. Paul said, Lord, would you get rid of this thorn in the flesh? God said, no. Paul went back again, Lord, would you get rid of this thorn in my flesh? God said, no. And the third time, Paul said, come on now, Lord, listen, would you get rid of this thorn? He said, and then he said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's because when you're weak, Paul, that you're really strong. The power of of humility, the power, greatness in the kingdom of God. God blesses us with life. He revives the spirit of the humble and the contrite one. And then God gives grace to the humble, saving grace, sanctifying grace, serving grace, sufficient grace. And the Bible says, this is what you need to put on in the morning when you get up. Put on, the, put on humility. I love that verse in Peter. It says, and be clothed. Be clothed today with humility. Well, what are you going to wear today? Humility. Now, you can wear something else too, but I'm telling you. He said, let your clothing be, you dress yourself in humility. Woo. Be clothed with humility. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Can I talk, talk to you about a humble man? He's God-dependent. A humble man or woman's not independent. They're God-dependent. They're, they're dependent on God. They're not dependent on themselves. Well, I've got a lot of ability. God bless you. He gave it to you. I've got a personality. God bless you. He gave it to you. You've got all these gifts. Let me tell you one thing. It's all a gift from Almighty God. And you need to understand that the one who holds you in his hand and the very breath you breathe is Almighty God. And he expects you to depend 
on him. Are you a God-dependent man? Are you a God-dependent woman? A God-dependent teenager? Or are you a self-sufficient man? Or a self-sufficient woman? Not only is it an absolute God-dependence, but we realize that we're God-sufficient. Our sufficiency comes from God. Jesus Christ in us is our life. Jesus Christ in us is our life. In him we live and move and have our being. I'll never be the husband I ought to be apart from Jesus living in me. I'll never be the wife I ought to be apart from Jesus living in me. I'll never overcome that temptation apart from Jesus living in me. I'll never be able to, to be what God created me to part. See, I'm not independent. I'm God-dependent. I'm not self-sufficient. You are Christ-sufficient. That is humility. It's not big I, but it's Christ. You know, when you're humble, you esteem others better than yourself. Really. If you find yourself thinking, I'm, I'm better than they are. You know, you, you got a problem? The Bible says to esteem others better than ourselves. But uh, Jesus always did, did that. And, and he taught his disciples. You're not haughty. You're not arrogant. You're not looking down on others. It's not I, 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 I. You know, that's not it. Really, it, it, uh, th- this is kind of trite, and, and I, but I think it's a pretty good little saying. Humility. You, you know how you spell humility? J-O-Y. Jesus. Others. And then you. Jesus. Others. And then you. It's called humility. God dependent. God sufficient. He's our life. And absolutely not 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 having an exalted opinion of ourselves, not being arrogant. But esteeming others better than ourselves. Looking not on our own things, but the things of others. And just being like Jesus. Humbling ourselves. And becoming obedient to death. The death of ourselves. That Christ might live through us. You're not going to get very far. Until you humble yourself. That's foundational. It's called Humility. I want to ask you, are you walking in pride? That's just exactly the way the devil was and is. Are you walking in humility? That's exactly the way Jesus is. It's called humility. Next Sunday, the Lord willing, I'm going to take the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Jesus said the Pharisee was proud and went home from church messed up. Jesus said the publican, went home justified. I want to know the difference between the Pharisee and the publican. One is a picture of pride, and the other is a picture of humility.